Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. Ladies and gentlemen, with all that's going on with voter suppression, this is a must-talk-to guest. He is the leading journalist and correspondent on the matter of voting rights and has been for a number of years. He's the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. And he actually is probably the only journalist in America with this specific title. He is the voting rights reporter (laughs) at Mother Jones. What if, Lord have mercy, every medium had such an office or a title? How much further along we'd be towards gaining greater accountability. Our dear friend Ari Berman comes back to make it plain. Welcome back, buddy. How are you? Hey, good to talk to you again, Mark. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk to you, man. So you you all had a bit of a scoop as well with the, I guess, Jennifer Anderson is her name, with the Heritage. And they're admitting that they have actually helped write some of these voter suppression bills, correct? Yeah, we got leaked video of a meeting that the Heritage Foundation, the big right-wing think tank, and their sister organization, Heritage Action for America, had done uh, for top donors in April in Arizona. And in this video, they say, they brag about the fact that they are writing what they call model legislation, uh, restricting voting rights in places like Georgia and Arizona and Iowa and Texas. And they actually talk about provisions that they wrote in these different bills. They say, we wrote eight provisions in the Georgia law, three provisions in the Iowa law, 19 provisions in the Texas law. They talk about how they are leading this huge effort to write these bills, to pass these bills, to defend these bills. They're spending $24 million over two years in eight battleground states. So they are really detailing a behind the scenes effort to really spearhead these voter suppression efforts that we're seeing pass in state after state. 
Um, let's do this. One, I just I have a clip of the audio. I just want to play for the audience so you all can hear the magnitude of this. Uh, uh, take a listen, everybody. We're working with these state legislators to make sure they have all of the information they need to draft the bills. In some cases, we actually draft them for them or we have a sentinel on our behalf, give them the model legislation. So it has that grassroots, you know, from the bottom up uh, type of vibe. <laughs> uh, that was Chris Hayes, you heard laughing. <laughs> Jessica Anderson, in fact, um, is, is her name, correction. And who, who, first of all, who was she speaking to? She was speaking to top donors of the Heritage Foundation. Now, both the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action for America are dark money groups, meaning that we don't know who is funding them. We know how much they've raised. We don't know where the money is coming from. So the Heritage Foundation raised over $120 million in their latest annual report. Almost all of that money is secret. Heritage Action raised $11 million. Almost all of that money is secret. So we're talking about over $130 million combined from these two groups. And we don't know where any of the money is coming from. Some stuff has come out. Charles and David Koch, people like that have given them money. Uh, but it's really astonishing to me that we have such well-funded dark money groups organizing and campaigning for voter suppression. I mean, this is a double attack on democracy. This is dark money, we can only assume funded by right-wing billionaires, uh, pushing laws that have the expressed intent of trying to make it harder for young voters, people of color, uh, to be able to vote. And so what I thought found that clip that you played, what I, I thought was interesting were two parts. Number one, they're admitting that they're drafting these bills for state legislators. So this is a Washington agenda that is a, being exported to the state. It's not something that's happening organically in Georgia or Texas or Iowa. It's a conservative Trump-inspired agenda that is being pushed on the states. And then secondly, they're saying, we're trying to make this seem grassroots, even though it isn't. I mean, so if something has a bottom-up vibe, you don't need to say that it has a bottom-up vibe, okay? You know this, Mark. If you're in the streets, you're in the streets. And if you're not, you pretend to be. And this is what they're doing. They're, they have the most well-funded, most organized people in the conservative movement in Washington, D.C., basically saying to the states, you need to pass this. And in terms of the states, I know you know the number. How many bills have been introduced uh, since November that would suppress the voting in how many states? 361 bills to restrict voting rights in 47 states. This was as of March. So I, I think that the number is well over 400 bills to restrict voting rights at this point. A dozen states have already changed their laws uh, to make it harder to vote. And what we're seeing is similar pieces of legislation pass in state after state after state. I think that's because they are drawing on things that the Heritage Foundation is recommending. Mm -hmm. The Heritage Foundation for a long time has been recommending sweeping curbs on vote by mail. They've been recommending making it much harder to register to vote. They've been talking about reducing options that people have to vote. And some of those things are successful before Trump. But I think the big lie gave them a huge opening to push this kind of thing. And you have one of the main people from the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky, who I'm sure you'll remember was a member of Trump's quote unquote election integrity commission, a guy who dates back a long way in terms of making it harder to vote. He says, the one good thing that came out of November is that so many state legislators are open to these policies. That's to say that, not to say they weren't open to it before, but it's taken on a sense of, sense of urgency within the Republican Party now because of Trump's big lie 
And because so much more money and organizing power is behind this. I mean, Heritage alone is spending $24 million on this campaign. I, I just saw a new report. Dark money groups are spending $42 million behind this. Uh, so that's a lot more money that was spent than, for example, in 2011 or 2012 or 2013. I mean, this is a much bigger effort than the voter suppression efforts we saw a decade ago. And that's obviously because Democrats won in 2020. Um, Democrats are doing better. We saw what happened in January. Obviously, this is an existential threat to the Republican Party. It, it doesn't have to be. I mean, they've chosen, haven't they, to be a party of one constituency group. They could change, be a party of more than one, but that's this choice they've made. So they have to stop every other constituency. And then Ari, also, if you could speak to this, the thing that is also intriguing to me is that um, Republicans uh, were, if I'm not mistaken, were in majorities when it came to mail-in ballots. Now the Democrats have figured it out. In a lot of these places, they want to suppress mail-in ballots now. Well, that's what I think is so interesting. You look at Georgia, for example, when Georgia passed a voter ID law requiring photo identification to vote, they exempted mail ballots for it, from it in 2005 because they knew that their constituents, elderly voters, rural voters, were more likely to vote by mail than Democratic voters who are tend to be more urban and would at that point were voting more in person. And so it was only after Democrats and Black voters in particular started using vote by mail in big numbers that they suddenly say, hey, let's change the rules for mail voting. I mean, what you had in Georgia, what you had in other states was the black share of mail voters went up, the white share of mail voters went down. And then it's only then that they said, let's make ID rules apply to mail ballots. Let's prevent election officials from sending out absentee ballot request forms. Let's severely cut the number of drop boxes, particularly in places like Metro Atlanta. And if you look at Heritage's recommendation, they're basically saying you should only be able to vote by mail if you're out of town or you can't physically get to the polls. I mean, that is completely out of step with what even many Republican controlled states are doing. I mean, you don't need an excuse to vote by mail in Georgia or Florida or lots of other uh, Republican controlled states. And so we're moving to a place where voters, no matter which party they are, want voting to be as convenient as possible. And I'm convinced that's one reason why we had such high turnout in 2020, the highest turnout in 120 years, because yeah. people had more options to vote than ever before. People had mail voting who hadn't used it a lot. We had more early voting than ever before. And then we also had traditional in-person voting on election day. And that took a lot of stress off election officials. The fact that people had so many options, you could vote so far in advance, you didn't have these crazy lines. You know, you had the lines, but you didn't have the lines in the same way. Um, right. Now they're trying to get rid of that. And I think that there's going to be some collateral damage on Republicans too, no doubt about it. They just think there's going to be more collateral damage on Democratic constituencies. Yeah. More MIP after this message. Are you seeing any signs of late that there's any hope in the Senate to address some of this with, with the stall legislation? Well, I'm, I'm feeling fairly pessimistic about the, the yeah. prospects of things happening in the Senate because Joe Manchin has not signed on to the For the People Act. I think that's a huge strategic mistake by him. And I, I also think 
that he says he wants to do a new voting rights act and it's bipartisan. Lisa Murkowski has signed on to it, but they're saying they want to do it through regular order. And I just meaning they don't want to eliminate the filibuster to do it. And I just see no way in hell that 10 Republicans are going to sign on to this bill uh, when 10 of them wouldn't even impeach Trump for inciting the insurrection that nearly got them killed. So there's no way that the Republican party is going to be so heavily invested in voter suppression and then turn around and support the very laws that would stop voter suppression. So I think Joe Manchin's being incredibly naive about this whole effort. I can't believe that he actually believes that Republicans are going to come to the table on this. I think he has to be given a period of time in which to say, okay, you believe it's bipartisan, go get 10 Republicans. And if he can't, I think people ask need to, to sit down with him and say, do you think honoring the memory of John Lewis and protecting the right to vote for the next generation is more important than uh, keeping the Jim Crow filibuster? I mean, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. This just seems such an unbelievably no-brainer thing for the Democratic Party to do right now. You're talking about keeping a vestige of Jim Crow, and you're talking about allowing all of these voter suppression laws to stand, or you're talking about passing two of the most important civil rights bills in the last 50 years. Uh, why is this even a debate? Every single member of the party should be on board for this and they, and they should be able to say, this is our moment. We need to do anything by all means necessary to get this done. In the same way that Republicans are going all out to suppress voting rights, we need to go all out to protect voting rights. I'm not seeing the same sense of urgency there. I'm seeing asymmetric warfare in one party basically saying, we're never going to allow the other party to win a fair election again. And the other party saying, let's just get that same party to come to the table and negotiate in good faith with us. Like, don't we know at this point in time they're not going to negotiate in good faith? But you said, as I mentioned, you said Joe Manchin is making a strategic mistake. How so? He doesn't seem to suffer any consequences of his behavior. Well, because I think he likes being in the majority. And I think he likes right. being yeah. chairman. And I think he's made a conscious decision to be a Democrat in West Virginia. He could have left the Democratic Party a long time ago. The easy choice would have been for him to become a Republican. A lot of people in West Virginia have done that. He has stayed a Democrat in West Virginia, which makes me believe he wants to be a Democrat. Now, does he want to be an AOC Democrat? Clearly not. But the fact that he wants to be a Democrat means that he wants the Democratic Party to succeed. And the Democratic Party is only going to succeed if people have free and fair access to the ballot. Not only that, but he was a former secretary of state. So he understands the importance of running fair elections, which are now under attack. And he has talked openly about honoring John Lewis and the civil rights movement. And I have zero doubt. And I, I know I, I'm sure you agree with me. I have zero doubt that if John Lewis were alive today, he would be on the floor of the house right now, just like Raphael Warnock is in the Senate saying, this is an existential crisis for democracy. Mm -hmm. We have to do whatever it takes to protect the right to vote that I fought for. I don't like when people say this person would have done this, MLK would have said this, but I think both of us knew John Lewis pretty well. We saw what he said before he died about the importance of protecting the right to vote and the attacks on voting rights have only gotten worse since his passing. It doesn't make sense because if he likes being a Democrat and being in, in a majority, if the, if the Democrats weren't the majority now, Joe Manchin would be pretty irrelevant. I mean, he wouldn't even be getting all the attention he's getting. So it behooves him to support the majority and work with the majority he's a part of. Um, meanwhile, uh, what advice have you, Ari Berman, for those in the states that are facing these almost 400 some odd bills? What 
uh, redress have they at home in their home states? Well, I would say uh, three things. Um, number one, try to kill the worst parts of the bill. In Georgia, for example, a lot of bad stuff passed. A lot of bad stuff didn't pass, though. I mean, they could have gotten rid of no excuse absentee voting. They could have gotten rid of automatic registration. They could have cut weekend voting. None of those those things happened because people really raised a stink and organized effectively. And now, yes, it's going to be harder to vote in Georgia in 2022 and 2024, but not nearly as hard as it might have been. And I think there's the same opportunity in Texas and in Michigan and other states to try to at least kill the worst provisions of what's been introduced. Secondly, people are fighting through the courts. I'm pessimistic about these lawsuits just because Trump-dominated courts are going to hear them. But I do think that some provisions of these laws could get thrown out. If not, the whole laws don't get thrown out. Maybe some parts of them will. But I think the third and most important thing is organize. Create a backlash to what's happening here. In most states, people are still going to have the option to vote by mail. People are still going to have the option to vote early. People are still going to have the option to vote on election day. People are going to need to be aware of what the rules are. If you use a Dropbox, for example, or you fill out an absentee ballot, you're going to need to understand what the rules are in a way that maybe wasn't as obvious in 2020. But the options to vote are still there. And I think the potential for a backlash is still there. And I have no doubt that if Stacey Abrams runs for governor in 2022 in Georgia, she is going to talk a lot about how the Republicans don't want her supporters to vote. And it's more important than ever that they do vote. And so I think Republicans are playing with fire a little bit here. Yeah. both in the fact that this could lead to a backlash among Democrats. It could also hurt some of their own voters. I mean, listen, if you're talking about voters that don't always participate in elections, quote unquote, low information voters, those voters are trending Republican right now. They're not They're not trending Democrat. Mm -hmm. Democrats have a coalition of young voters, people of color, and higher income white suburbanites that have left the Republican Party and gone to the Democratic Party. Those people are going to vote no matter what happens. Republicans have the white working class voters that now might be purged from the voting rolls or might have polling places closed. I mean, so I, I think that like there is some collateral damage here. And Trump always likes to talk about, oh, we had 74 million people turn out. So that means that they can do totally fine in a high turnout election. And one of the takeaways that they could have had from the last election is we did pretty well considering how high the turnout was. We almost won the presidency. We almost uh, held the Senate. We picked up a lot of House seats. We had all these state legislatures. We did pretty well here. And if we had only been a little bit more accommodating, you know, a, a little less nasty, killed a few less people because of COVID, we could have we could have held power. And so it's not hard to imagine a situation where the Republican Party would have ended up in a very different position than the one they're in right now. Um, so I don't believe that high turnout always benefits Democrats. And there's a lot of evidence that it can benefit Republicans as well. But they clearly don't seem to think that. No, you're right. And in terms of the backlash, we can look again to 2012, um, where the there was a lot of suppression and a lot of suppression talk. And that motivated even more people to the polls. Yeah. And we also have the newly found self-confidence that we can actually get people to vote in a special election. And when mm -hmm. um, when once that happens, you know, once the lion tastes blood, he wants to go back and get more. So I, I think you're right. I hope you're right um, that this is going to uh, inspire more people and get more people involved and, 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 and raise the stakes. I mean, I think even. Um, the Georgians, there were certain demographics of Georgians 
that voted in January that surpassed that, those same demographics numbers in November for a no. special election. I mean, yeah, yeah. White, white folk don't even spoke voting special elections, Ari. And so, so you know, this, I, I hope you're right. I hope that there is a, a, a backlash um, and that people get mobilized. And folks, that's what you have to do. You heard what Ari said. Ari, I've been preaching um, from the book of local organizing. Um, the two biggest things that people are facing today, police violence, voter suppression, are affected at the local level because there's no national type of peace over that. And I remind people, you know, Dr. King didn't come out on social media and declare himself a national leader. He won a Nobel Prize for what he did in one small city. So, folks, uh, Ari's right. Get involved in what is taking place in your locale, in your state, where regards these voting laws and fight him. And he's right. You may not be able to knock out everything, but bit by bit, chip away, do what's necessary. That's something. And it makes a difference. More MIP after this message. Hey, peeps, it's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. The other thing, too, very quickly, you mentioned Manchin. I don't, I don't want to leave this out just so people are clear. He's also making the argument that George W. Bush made at one point. Uh, for there to be a Voting Rights Act that is permanent uh, and that doesn't require a re-upping every so many years. But that's actually a false notion because the, the, the Voting Rights Act before the teeth, was taken, teeth were taken out was the way it was so that uh, we could go back every so many years and examine whether states were improving or regressing in terms of their voter suppression activity. You make it permanent there's that that ongoing oversight and scrutiny. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. And the, the other thing that the Voting Rights Act did it, was it applied to certain states, recognizing that certain right. states had a right. uh, history of discrimination. And Manchin has said it, it should apply to all 50 states. And I think that the thing is, is you, you have to justify why that needs to happen. That why is why does Maine have the same problem as Georgia right now? Right. Uh, and so, I mean, the, the law was crafted in such a way to withstand scrutiny from the courts. Now, the Roberts Court had it in for the Voting Rights Act regardless, but the law was drafted in such a way to be as constitutional right. as possible. Now, I think the new bill is really smart because the, the new Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, it looks at more recent violations, but it's also rolling in that if a certain state racks up a bunch of violations, it's covered under this law. So it, it is nationwide theoretically, but it still targets the worst offenders. Right. And then it says that certain voting changes, no matter where you are, have to be approved on a nationwide basis. So if you want to close a polling place in a heavily minority area, you have to get approval for that no matter what state you're in. And I think that's really smart because you could have a situation where Washington state, for example, uh, might not be a problem on voting rights, yeah. but they decide they want to close a polling place in a neighborhood that's 40% Latino. Well, that immediately raises a red flag of, is it discriminatory? Um, and that would have to be approved with the federal government. So I think the new bill has been drafted with a lot of thought and a lot of care and people like John Lewis, were involved in drafting it. Terry Sewell from Alabama and from Selma, she's been involved in drafting it. Uh, Patrick Leahy from Vermont, who's been doing this a long time, was involved in drafting it. So I don't think Joe Manchin knows this, understands this better than they do. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I don't think he's thought this through. I, I don't know who he's talked to about this, 
Uh, I, he certainly hasn't talked to me about it. I don't know if he's talked to other voting rights experts, but I mean, he, he's basically saying we need to do this, but we don't need to do the For the People Act. And my answer is we need to do both because they're different kind of bills. What the For the People Act does is it creates uniform standards for elections no matter where you live in. And it gives you baseline policies that protect the right to vote. So no matter where you live, you have automatic registration and you have early voting and you have expanded mail-in voting. You have independent redistricting no matter where you live. You're not going to get those things simply from the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act is going to block bad laws from emerging, but it can't retroactively create good laws. And so the bills were introduced together for a reason. And the way I think about it is what is the carrot and what is the stick? The For the People Act is the carrot. It's the thing that gives you all of these policies that voters across the political spectrum support. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act is the stick. It says that there's a history of voter suppression in this country and we have to do something about it. But you need the combination of those two things together. And so saying we're not going to do one, we're going to do the other, that misses the entire point. And obviously, if we passed one of these things, it would be better than passing none of these things. But if you really want to create a voting system that works for everybody, you need to have both. You need to have policies that make it easier to vote, and you need to have oversight of that process. And that's the argument I'd be making to congressional Democrats right now, is that these two bills, far from being separate, they really should be linked. Yeah. Um, Joe Manchin also, he doesn't check with anybody on anything. He hasn't even bothered to read that the Supreme Court made a ruling several years ago on D.C. statehood saying it was a political solution, not a court solution. He's still talking about a constitutional amendment. Um, so he's not up on anything. Uh, lastly, Ari, um, ultimately, does this country need to talk about, think about, implement a national voting system that is uniform and not necessarily one that continues to depend on every individual state's whim? Well, I think that's exactly what the For the People Act would do. It would create uniformity in terms of standards for federal elections. And it would say that it's a dangerous and undemocratic situation where it could be very easy to vote in Oregon and very hard to vote in Texas, or it was easy to vote in Georgia and then it became a lot harder to vote because one party lost an election, uh, that there have been moments in our history when the federal government has stepped in to protect the right to vote. And if it was not for those moments, we would have gone back a lot further in our progress. And we also have a history, by the way, of the federal government stepping in to protect the right to vote and then turning its back namely during Reconstruction. And I'm really worried we're heading back to that kind of moment where we have an opportunity to protect the right to vote. Everyone knows that it's under attack. And we say, we're not going to do it. We're basically, right now, the Republican Party is like the Southern Democrats of the South. And back then in the 1870s, the Republicans, who were the party of civil rights, said, we're going to negotiate with Southern Democrats in good faith. We're going to trust them to run their own elections. What happened? We got 100 years of Jim Crow. So that's what I would say to Joe Manchin. You're dealing with an insurrectionist party of white supremacists in the Republican Party, and they cannot be negotiated with. Yeah. That if you let them negotiate on their terms, they will destroy you, and they yeah. will destroy the right to vote, and they will destroy civil rights in this country. And I can't even imagine what this party would do if it took back power. And so... 
that's what I would say right now. And I think it's not just a hypothetical. There are moments in history that we can point to as relevant examples of what happened when we didn't take the path that was that was left for us to right. do something about protecting the right to vote. Have you tried to reach out to Joe Manchin? Would you talk to him if you had the opportunity? Would you give yeah, a shot? for sure. I mean, he he well, he's he's not talking. I mean, in some ways, I'm even more distressed by Kirsten Cinema, who represents a, a swing state and is basically almost as bad as Joe Manchin. I mean, she has signed on to the For the People Act, but I haven't heard her say anything about the audit, the audit, so-called audit going on in her own state. Uh, I haven't heard her say anything about uh, how she's going to pass these bills. Uh, and you know, it's Manchin is taking a lot of heat. For, for, for good measure. But there's some other Democrats that also are escaping scrutiny here that are in much more favorable states politically, and also in states where voter suppression is a real thing. And so I'm contrasting the urgency that Warnock and Ossoff feel about voter suppression with the complete lack of urgency that cinema feels when it's happening in her state. I mean, they're doing an audit in Arizona right now. They're not doing the audit in Georgia. So like if I was her, I would be even more concerned than those guys are right now. Uh, but there's just a lack of urgency in general. And I just don't really understand what the Democratic Party is doing right now. They are running out of time uh, to do this. We're missing deadlines left and right. Remember, they were supposed to have a police bill done by next week. That yeah. certainly seems like it's not happening. Yeah. They say they want legislation on the president's desk by the anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. There's no path that anyone's outlined for how to do this without at least carving out an exception to the filibuster. So we're running out of time and the, the calendar is really becoming an issue here. Uh, so uh, I'm just incredibly disturbed by what's happening right now. The lack of urgency the Democratic Party is showing about these issues. Yeah, we all are. And then Democrats can't stay in power unless African-Americans and other people of color and millennials and everyone else is mobilized to vote. And when people exactly. see you sitting on your hands, they're not mobilized. So the math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when Warnock and Ossoff ran for the Senate, they said, we're going to pass a new Voting Rights Act. They didn't have an asterisk saying, unless Mitch McConnell filibusters it. I mean, th so, I mean, they have to, they've been communicating this to their voters, but the party's going to have to communicate why it was put in power and then didn't deliver. I think that's going to be a really hard sell to their voters in 2022. The, the last thing I'll say is that the Justice Department needs to get involved here. The Justice Department, first off, it's not even staffed yet fully. Kristen Clark is still not head of the Civil Rights Division. Right, right. But they need to get involved here because they have firepower and stature that individual civil rights groups or Democratic lawyers don't have. It's one thing for the NAACP to file a lawsuit. It's one thing for Mark Elias to file a lawsuit. Another thing for the Justice Department to get involved. Yeah. And I mean, I know that they agree with this stuff. I know that Merrick Garland, Vanita Gupta, Kristen Clark want to protect the right to vote. I mean, Vanita and Kristen, this is what they did their whole lives. They're as passionate about this as anybody, but they need to they need to get active too. And the same thing happened with the Obama administration. They were very, very slow to engage with the voter suppression tactics. Yeah. It took them, I think, almost a year to file their first lawsuits then. And same kind of thing is happening now. And... I think they need to get in there because I also think that getting in there, that's also a deterrent to other states, that the yeah. federal government's going to fight you on this. Uh, and they might not care. In fact, some states might want the Biden administration to sue them. But just from a practical matter, it matters a lot more when the Justice Department is engaged. And even if they didn't file lawsuits, but they said they were concerned about certain things, 
that could stop certain things from even happening. So that's that's the other piece of this that that's not a replacement for federal legislation, but that's a tool they have that is not really being used so far. Ari Berman, voting rights reporter for Mother Jones. Check him out at motherjones.com. Also, his book, if you've not read it already, give us the ballot, the modern struggle for voting rights in America. He's one of our leading experts on this issue and one of the leading correspondents on this issue. Be sure to follow him. Ari, as always, we thank you, buddy. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.